Be finding your way one last time to Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. We've been in a series of studies here over the past four weeks that we've entitled Great Expectations. And really what we're talking about is connecting and staying connected. So what we've been sharing with you is really what the Bible has to teach, how you as a member or a soon-to-be member, what you can expect uh, from the church and then what the church uh, expects from you as a member or, again, as a soon-to-be member. We started off by talking about worship. And we've seen that we are the church. We've been called out, called together to worship our great God. And then the second week we looked at community that uh, really life is best lived when it is lived in Christian community. We saw uh, serving, we looked at that one week, and we saw that we've been gifted by God to serve others for His glory and for our good. And then last week we learned that there's nothing more important in all of the world uh, than inviting and introducing people to Jesus Christ. And that's where we were going to stop. Uh, but I want to extend it one last Sunday. I want to add one little icon up there. And we're going to talk this morning about giving. And here's the truth that I want to plant into your heart this morning. Here's the, here's the principle that I want you to get down and get down really good uh, here today. And that is that a redeemed heart should be a generous heart. Will you say that with me this morning? A redeemed heart should be a generous heart. One last time over on this side. A redeemed heart should be a generous heart. You're there in Acts 2, picking up in verse 44. Notice what uh, Luke says. Luke says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So here in Acts chapter 2, we see how those very first Christians fell so in love with Jesus that they actually started going out and selling their stuff and, and getting rid of their possessions and putting all that money into a common fund in order to take care of whoever uh, had a need. And this was just really the response uh, to the goodness and the grace of God in their life. God had been so good and so gracious and so generous in giving grace to them. And so as a result of that, they were generous in giving of their goods to others. Now, there are some, like Karl Marx, the founder of socialism, who really wanted to do away with private ownership of property. They, they will point to Acts chapter 2 and they'll say, Ah, see? Those early Christians, they were socialists. Maybe even communists. They, 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 they sold all their stuff and then they, they pulled all their possessions and everything had, everybody had everything in common. And I've even seen articles in recent years out of major publications like the Washington Post uh, stating that Christianity is socialist and anti-capitalist. Can I just stop right here for a second and deal with that uh, for just a minute? Because uh, we've got some of our young people who are going to be going off uh, to college or perhaps you've already gone off to college and you're back perhaps on fall break. And so when you get to college, you're going to have some Professor Fuzzy Face who's going to say something very much like that, that Christianity is socialism. It, is, it was an early form of communism. And I'm just going to say right now, that is wrong. It is historically wrong. It is scripturally wrong. The early church was not socialist uh, for several reasons. First of all, even though that they sold off many of their possessions and had a common fund in order to help those who had a need, they didn't sell off all of their possessions because Acts said that they still owned their own homes. That's number one. Number two, nobody forced them to sell anything. Matter of fact, go over to Acts chapter 5. You've got the story of Ananias and Sapphira where they sold a piece of property. They, came, they claimed they gave all of it when they just really gave part of it. And so Peter is, is talking to Ananias right before Ananias drops dead. 
And Peter says to Ananias about that piece of property, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? And so, now, yes, they, they sold off a lot of their property, and they did give a lot of that money to that common fund to the church, but nobody made them do it. It was all done by their own choice. And then thirdly, it was simply a temporary measure, not a permanent practice. Uh, the church had just been born. The day of Pentecost had just come. There were tons of people, thousands of them, who had just gotten saved, born again. And so when they followed Jesus, what happened was they lost their job. They lost their family. They lost their house. They had no food. They had no clothing. They had no way to make a living. And so the church came together to take care of their needs because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so... I do not think that they were socialists. I don't, for sure don't think they were communists. I think that they were just so grateful and thankful to God for giving them salvation that they were generous and they wanted to help anybody and everybody who had a need. And can I just stop right here and say this? We need more of that kind of Christianity in the world today. Randy Alcorn put it this way. He said, that the more you give, the more comes back to you because God is the greatest giver in the universe. You can't outgive God. Go ahead and try and see what happens. And Jesus put it this way. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he said, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. That, that's a great verse, right? That's a great passage. It, it's a needed verse, but it's also a verse that so many people misunderstand and they misuse. And so there are some people that will say, well, see, Jesus says that if you'll give all your money, you'll get more money. And, and you're going to hear that kind of preaching sometimes on TBN and those other types of channels and stations. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. For one thing, I don't think that Jesus was primarily or specifically uh, or exclusively talking about money. I think he's really just giving us a major life truth here. And that is this, that whatever it is that you give, money, forgiveness, love, grace, time, whatever, it's going to be given back to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And that's an important picture here that these early Christians would have absolutely have understood. And so because they knew that back in the Old Testament, Old Testament law said that when you're harvesting your grain field, uh, that you can't take all of it, you've got to leave the corners for the poor. And so when it came time to harvest the grain, you would have two groups of people out there uh, harvesting the grain. You would have the uh, professional paid primary harvesters that are out there in the middle of the field harvesting the grain, and then you would have the poor folks who would be in the corners harvesting the grain in order to have food to eat. And so the, the professional primary harvesters out there in the middle of the grain, or in the middle of the field, would have baskets or bags or something like that, and they would harvest and harvest and harvest and put it in the bag and put it in the bag and put it in the bag and put it in the bag. And then at some point, what they would do is they would go over to the wagon or go back to the barn, dump that bag or basket out, then go back out into the field and put more in there because they were there until the job got done, right? And, but the poor folks had walked for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles to get to this field. They had their basket. They had their bag. They were there in the corners. They're harvesting the, the grain that's been left for them in the corner. And so what they would do is they would put all the grain into that basket or bag until they got to the top. Then they'd take their hand and they'd push it down and try to tamp it down and make more room. And they'd put more grain back in top on top of that until it, until it got to the top again. And then they start shaking it in order to kind of shake it loose and get all the space out of it and get it down. And when they got more space, they'd go back and put 
more grain on top of it until it began to run over the top. Because once they left the field to walk back home, that's, that's what they were going to have in order to feed their family. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's teaching this lesson, and everybody knew what he was saying. Because it's one thing to get a basket full of free grain, right? It's another thing to get a basket of good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over basket full of free grain, right? And so here's the truth that, are y'all still out there this morning? I know I sound like I smoke three packs a day, but just bear with me this morning, all right? Here's the truth that Jesus is teaching this morning, that whatever you give, you're going to get even more of that very same thing back. That's part of the law of the harvest. You reap exactly what you sow. You reap more than you sow. And it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's money or forgiveness or love or grace or time or whatever. This is God's universal principle. You always get back more than you give, and it works the other way too. If you give out condemnation, you're going to get more condemnation back. If you give out judgment, you're going to get back more judgment. If you give out hatred, you're going to get back more hatred. It works both ways. And so there are a lot of well-meaning Bible teachers and preachers who will read that verse and say, See, if you'll just give more money, you'll get more money back. If you'll sow a seed into my ministry, uh, you'll, get, you'll get all this money, money back. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I'm telling you they have misunderstood and they have misapplied that verse. We don't give in order to get. We get to give. Right? The, re the reason isn't reward. The reason is our reception. And God doesn't want us to have a vision of getting. God wants to have us, have us to have a vision of, of giving. And when we do, we're going to receive more back than we can ever imagine. But it's all in our motives. And it's all about why we give. And it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. So this morning as we talk about giving and generosity, I, I think that we need to, in the words of that great Bible theologian, Don Henley. How many of y'all have even heard that name before? Can I see your hands? All the old folks. I think it's time to get down to the heart of the matter. Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. There's an Old Testament picture that I want to share with you this morning that I had never seen before until this past week. Find your way to Deuteronomy chapter 15 as we get ready to finish up this, this study. And I've said from this pulpit many, many times over the years that there is an atmosphere of generosity at Abilene, unlike any other place that I've ever been. I don't know of a more giving, generous church than Abilene Baptist Church. And so you may be here this morning and you're new and that just sounds really strange to you. Or perhaps you've been coming for years and years and years and years and you have never gotten in on what I refer to as grace giving. Let me show you, begin to show you from Deuteronomy 15, what I call the keys to a generous heart. Look there in verse 7. The Bible says, if there is any among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not burden your heart nor shut you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need whatever he needs. Let's, let's stop right there for the sake of time this morning. It's a great passage. It's a really needed passage picture of God's heart for helping people and what it shows us is that God looks more at the why we give than the what we give 
Let me pull over here just for a second and remind you that biblical giving includes both tithing and giving offerings. Tithing is, a tithe is 10%. It's 10% right off the top. Right the very first thing that you do, you give 10% back to God through the church. That, that's what a tithe is. I practice tithing. My family tithes. I did it this past Friday uh, when the online was working. Uh, I, I gave, and so uh, I practice the tithe. My family tithes. But we also give offerings, and offerings are different in that tithing comes first, and then once you have tithed, then you can give offerings to the church or to somebody else who has a need. Now, don't misunderstand. The tithe is the floor, not the ceiling. So a lot of times people go, Pastor, I tithe. Like, that's something. No, that's, that's just the bottom, all right? That's not the, that's not the finish line. That's the starting point. That's the bare minimum that a Christian should do, not the most. Look right here. Tithing is training wheels for generosity. That's, that's, that's what tithing is, okay? And so we're to give tithes and we're to give offerings. And so God tells the Israelites in verse 10, don't let your heart be grieved when you give. Why? Because even back there in the Old Testament, God loved a cheerful giver. And that really makes sense when you think about it because God's a father. And what father isn't proud? What father doesn't love to see one of his children being generous? What mama doesn't love not having to bribe or beat or, or get on to a child in order to make them be generous? What, what mom doesn't love just seeing one of her children just being generous? Generosity, by the way, is a mark of maturity because you don't have to teach children to be selfish. You have to teach children to be generous. That's what you have to do. And so it's a mark of maturity. So real quickly, you got your Bibles open there this morning. Let me give you four keys to a generous heart straight out of Deuteronomy 15. Look there, number one, you've got to confront a greedy heart. Just jot that down there somewhere. Verse 9, beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. God says that the very first thing, by the way, there's a lot going on here, but for the sake of time, God says that the very first thing that we're going to have to do if we're going to learn how to live and give generously is that we're going to have to deal with these wicked, selfish thoughts that would keep us from doing just that. No doubt that they're wicked. God says it right there, black ink on white paper. But selfishness and greed, what does it do? Selfishness and greed whispers into your ear, you can't do that. You can't afford to do that. And God says to you and God says to me, don't let your heart think that way. Dr. Les Walters is one of our deacons and Sunday school teachers. and He told me this years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He said that tithing isn't God's way of getting our money. But tithing, giving, is God's way of overcoming and breaking the grip of greed on our life. It's a great way to view it. That tithing is not getting God's way of getting money. God, God doesn't need our money, right? But tithing is the, God's way of breaking the grip of greed on our heart and life. Now, no doubt, greed and selfishness, they're not good reasons to give. And so God wants to change us from selfish, greedy takers into generous, grateful givers. And we're born selfish. We're, we're born selfish. And I'm not trying to offend anybody here this morning, but we've had a bunch of babies born at Abilene this year. Did you know that? There's something in the water around here. My goodness. And we believe and we practice church growth. I just want you to know that if you're new to Abilene, we, we believe in and we practice church growth. But if you're a new parent, or if you, like me, you're, you're, you've been a parent for a long time, 
um, then, then you, you may be surprised that, that that little angel, that your precious little angel, came forth from the womb 100%, totally, completely, absolutely self-absorbed. Did you know that? It's just absolutely true. As a matter of fact, the first sound out of your baby's mouth was not mama or dada. The first sound out of your baby's, your little angel's mouth was something like this. Let me translate that for you. Give me. Give me something to drink. Give me something to eat. Give me attention. And it doesn't even end there. The first words out of our baby's mouth, as much as we'd love for them to be that, are not dada and mama. Normally, the first words out of one of our baby's mouth is something like this, mine. And you would think, you would think that, that we would grow that. No, no. Greed and selfishness is deep down inside of us. And a lot of times it just gets worse the older and bigger that we get. If you don't believe this, ladies, the next time you, you and your husband go out on a fancy date and you go to a steakhouse and he orders his ribs or he orders uh, his filet or his, his prime rib or whatever, try to take one of those ribs or try to cut a piece off of his steak. You better be careful. You'll probably pull back a nub, right? He don't want to give that away. He's He's selfish. And it's not just the guys. Guys, this coming Saturday, you've been watching, you've been watching that great big old buck on your trail cam for the last couple of weeks, and you know exactly when he shows up. And so you're going to get up Saturday morning early, and you're going to get down there in the kitchen early in the morning before anybody else is, woke, is, is awake. And uh, you're going to start looking for your, your, your thermos or whatever, and it's going to be dirty in the dishwasher. And so you're going to look over there on the counter, and there is your wife's prized possession. It is this thing. It's called a Stanley Tumbler. Water bottle, I don't care what you call it. And it's purple or pink or light green. And the crave, y'all know what I'm talking about, the handle on the side right here. And they even got all kinds of things that go on these, these water tumblers now. They got places where you put your credit cards, hang your keys, your remote control for your TV goes on the side of this thing. And your wife drags that thing with her all over town. Guys, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Can I see your hands right now? All right, so it drags it all over town. And so you get up early in the morning, and you can't find your, your, your thermos. And so you grab her water bottle, try to go to the deer stand with that thing. You won't even make it out of the house. She will wake up out of a dead sleep. And it's kind of like Lord of the Rings. Precious. And she will say, don't you walk out of here. That's mine, don't you? That's mine. You, you, can't, you can't have that. And here's the point. We are selfish. We are greedy. That's the default condition of the human heart. So the very first thing that you've got to do is you've got to confront your greedy heart. Number two. You've got to comfort a grieving heart. Look what the word Lord says next, verse 10. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and into all that, that to which you put your hand. And so here's what he says. When we confront our selfish heart and give generously, the reward is a blessed life. When I was going to Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, I was working on my master's at the time, and I had a buddy named Darren Miller. Darren was a little bit older than the rest of us. He pastored there in West Tennessee. And uh, Darren, I can remember going down the stairs, headed to Greek 1 or one of those classes down there, personal evangelism or whatever. And I'd go down the stairs and I'd see Darren. Darren's a big old dude. And Darren, I'd say, hey, Darren, how you doing? He would always answer the same way. He'd say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. 
Well, here's what I need you to understand this morning. God says that the reward for being a generous liver and giver is, watch this, he will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. Black ink on white paper. But now notice this. He tells us to comfort our grieving hearts after we've given like he tells us to give, and that's so very important. Why? Because selfishness can strike before we give and grief can strike after we give like God has told us to give. A lot of times after you've given like God's told you to give, what will happen is you'll begin to think about what you could have done with all that money you just gave. And you'll have this grief that comes over you. In the marketplace, we call it buyer's remorse. So you go out and you buy a big ticket item. You go out and you buy a new car or a house or you go out and buy you a, a boat or guys, you go out and you buy you a new gun. Hey, hey, ladies, can I just stop right here for just a second? If your husband were to pass before you, do not try to sell his guns for what he told you he paid for them. Get some help, right? But you go out and you buy some big ticket item and you buy your car, a house, a boat, or side by side, or something like that. And then you get home, and, and all of a sudden, after the endorphins wear off from buying all that stuff, then all of a sudden you begin to have this panicky, what in the world have I done kind of a feeling. That's why a lot of folks will try to go back the very next day and return those things. And that might happen to you when and if you give the way God tells you to give. That's why God says, guard your heart not only before, but after you give. And you know, why I think most people have a problem with this sometimes. You know, I think that sometimes people might feel pressured to give on the front end and then they grieve about giving on the back end. And I think it's this. Because they don't have a right understanding. They don't have a proper perspective on money. And don't miss this. It's not yours. Doesn't belong to you. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Hey, um, Ben, you got $100? Here, let me have that. You got a $100 bill? Wow, they pay you good. Awesome. <laughs> Look at that. That's, that's, that is a hunt. Is it real? Yeah. All right, it, yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Hey, Ben, did, did you have any trouble giving that back to me? No, sir. Why? Who gave it to you? Yeah. Before the service, I gave this to Ben. So Ben doesn't have any trouble giving it back to me because I'm the one I gave it to him to begin with, right? How many of y'all see what I just did? Raise your hand. How many of y'all don't like what I just did? Raise your hand. Yeah. That's true about everything that we have in this life. It's not ours. It belongs to God. The psalmist said in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so it's all God. We just have the privilege of managing it and taking care of it for Him while we're here. And so that's why it makes it very, very easy to give it back to Him when He asks for it. It's His. He gave it to us, and He can ask for it back whenever He wants to. And so whenever I see a person who struggles in this area of giving, here's what I think. They see themselves as owners and not stewards. 
They see themselves as owners, not stewards. You ever grieve over giving? Don't raise your hand. You ever grieve over giving? You ever find yourself feeling sorry and just think about what you could have done with all the money that you gave? Let me help you with that. It wasn't yours. It wasn't yours. And the very first thing you've got to do if you're going to have a generous heart is you've got to confront your greedy heart. You've got to comfort uh, your, your grieving heart. Number three, you've got to consecrate a generous heart. Look at verse 14. He says, you shall supply him liberally, underline that word, liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. Have you all saw the word liberally down there? Raise your hand. See the word liberally down there? It's not talking about a political liberal. We don't care for those. We're talking here about a person who is liberal in their giving, generous in their giving. And I don't know of anybody out there this morning, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know anybody out there this morning who has a threshing floor or a wine press. By the way, this is a Baptist church, and if you do, we need to do a sermon next week for you, right? Boy, that got quiet, didn't it? That's about like that sermon last Sunday night. If you were here, you'd know what it was. Uh, and it got a little quiet in here last Sunday night. How many of y'all were here? Can I see your hands? Yeah, it got a little quiet last Sunday night. But, but anyway... That just means that we're not supposed to be stingy and greedy with what God has given to us. We're supposed to develop a generous giving heart. It's not easy. It goes against the very fiber and, and grain of our fallen nature, but it fits in perfectly with the new nature we received from Jesus when we got saved. And here's what I like to put it. I was born greedy. I was born greedy. I was born again generous. I was born again generous. How do you do this? Real quickly, how, how do you develop a generous heart? Well, it starts with your mind. Jot down Romans 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you've got to start thinking differently about what you think is yours. Your home, your cars, your clothes, your bank accounts, your retirement accounts, your, your bass boat. You've got to start thinking differently about what you consider to be yours. And so what happens is God does a work in your heart that changes the way you think about stuff. And you begin to view it not from your point of view, but from God's point of view. There was a seminary professor who asked his class one day, he said, why did God create giving? And basically what they said was, well, in order to fund his work. And I love what the professor said. He said, so you think God ran out of gold? They use it for asphalt in heaven. You think God ran out of cattle? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. No, God did not create giving for his sake. God created giving for our sake. Giving and giving generously more than anything else in the Christian life works greed and selfishness out of our life. And so that's why you'll never hear me say, we give in order to get. No, we get to give in all that that sentence means. And here's what you'll discover. That the more generously you give, the easier it will become. And God wants us to be a generous people, and it starts with the heart. And so the very first thing is you've got to confront a greedy heart. Number two, you've got to comfort a grieving heart. Number three, you've got to consecrate a generous heart. There's still one last thing we've got to do, though. We have to cultivate a grateful heart. Look at verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. So why did God tell them, hey, I want you to go back 
And I want you to remember those days when you were in Egypt. I want you to go back there when you were a slave, and they weren't even giving you straw in order to make bricks, and the taskmaster's whip. I want you to go back in those days, and I want you to remember how I brought you out of there. Why did God do that? So that they would remember and be grateful for what God has done for them. And I don't know of a better thing for us to do as Christians from time to time than to go back and remember where we were when God saved us, to remember what road we were on when God turned our life around, to remember where we were and what we were doing when God found us. Because if we'll do that, then what will happen is our heart and life will begin to overflow with thankfulness and gratitude, and living and giving will become just as natural as breathing. I've got a friend of mine, we'll close with this because I can see y'all are really excited about this today. So you, you didn't know. I pulled one on you. Th- the series is over. Yeah, I'm okay. No, the series wasn't over. I got a pastor friend of mine who was on a mission trip to Haiti. He and his wife went into one of the poorest villages there in that nation, and they walked up to all the mud huts in this little village. They walked up to the smallest, really poorest-looking mud hut in that village, and an old lady walked out in basically rags. And in her hand, she had an ice-cold Coca-Cola. And the pastor's wife knew exactly how much that cost that woman. And when the woman started to offer it to the pastor's wife, the pastor's wife started to say, no, I can't receive it. It's too much. It's too expensive. It's too generous. And the missionary said, if you don't receive it, you're going to rob her of the blessing. And so she received it. And my my pastor friend said that he learned a lesson that day that I want to share with you this morning. Here is a woman who is literally dirt poor, wearing rags, living in a mud hut in one of the poorest nations on the planet, giving an ice-cold Coca-Cola. No telling what it cost her. And here's what my friend said he learned. You don't have to be rich to be generous. You just have to be generous to be generous. Generosity is not measured by how much you give. Generosity is measured by how much you have left. I'm going to say that one more time for you over here. Generosity is not measured by how much you give. It's measured by how much you have left. And when God does a work in our hearts, and when we give generously, then the result, not the goal, is that God pours out His blessings on our life. Does God bless you and me in order for us to give and live generously? Does does God bless those who live and give generously? You bet. But his promises are not given as a bribe. They're given to release the grip of fear and grief that is on our hearts that keeps us from doing what he's told us to do. And giving like he says. I started working out again this past week. It ain't no fun. And... um, so I've, I've, I've done this thing where I try to hang on to this bar as long as I can. How many of you all know what I'm talking about? You can't do it as long as you think. And so the very first time that I did it, I, I hung and I, I wanted 30 seconds. It doesn't sound like much. You try it. 
And I'm hanging there, and I'm hanging on there, and I'm hanging on there. My, 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 my hands are tight. I'm hanging. Boy, it's hurting. Oh, my gosh, it's hurting. And I'm hanging, and I'm hanging. And I just want to do 30 seconds. I'm counting my mind. I start counting faster. And uh, I get to 30, and I drop. And my hands are like this. They won't open up. And I actually had to take my hand, because I've been holding it so tight, I had to have, and open up my fingers. And that's what you have to do with most Baptists in order to get them to give anything. <laughs> right? So what makes the difference? We're done. Have you enjoyed this? Some of y'all are going to go home and talk about that tumbler. Don't try to eat his steak. What makes the difference? The difference between this and that is a change of heart. And I've said it for almost 30 years. The most sensitive nerve in the human body runs right through the pocketbook, right through the wallet. But we don't give out of our wallet. We don't even give out of our bank accounts, guys. We give out of our heart. We give out of our heart. And that's why you've got to confront a greedy heart. And you've got to comfort a grieving heart. And then you, you've got to consecrate a generous heart. And when you do that, you can celebrate with a grateful heart. It all begins with a heart. And maybe you're here this morning, and this sounds really weird for you. So this is your first time at Abilene, and you go, I knew it. Baptist preachers preach on giving every Sunday morning. Normally just February. But it's not a matter, again, of the wallet. It's a matter of the heart. And I wonder, have you given Jesus your heart? Because what I've discovered in my life is that once I gave him my heart, everything else just came naturally. If I give him a heart in my life, then he already has everything, right? And when you give him your heart, then you won't have any trouble giving when he tells you to give generously.